Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, June 29th. In today's news, Russian bounties offered to Taliban-linked militants in Afghanistan are believed to have resulted in American deaths. Coronavirus infections surpassed two and a half million in America. And Trump allies are pushing the president to shake up his campaign. But first, the big idea. The very last state flag in our country to prominently feature the Confederate battle emblem will finally come down in Mississippi. The State House and Senate voted on Sunday to replace the 126-year-old design. The Republican Governor Tate Reeves plans to sign the bill later today. After he does, the flag must be removed from government buildings within 15 days. This is a major moment that no one would have seen coming at the start of the state legislative session. But even Mississippi was not immune to the national reckoning on racial justice that was set in motion by George Floyd's killing on Memorial Day. The votes were lopsided, 91 to 23 in the House and 37 to 14 in the Senate. Once it became clear the measure would advance, several Republicans who had planned to vote no changed their votes in an effort to get on the right side of history and to send a message of unification to the country. The Senate tabled an amendment that would have punted the decision to the fall and allowed voters to decide whether they wanted to change the flag at all via a referendum. Back in 2001, there was such a referendum, and Mississippians voted two to one at that time to keep the Confederate symbolism. That year, Georgia changed its flag after a legislative showdown. It had been the only other state whose flag bore that emblem of treason. Mississippi's new bill creates a commission that has to come up with the new design. The bill requires that the flag say, in God we trust, and that it not include any Confederate symbolism. Voters will then get to vote for or against the new flag design in November. If it doesn't pass, then a new flag will be designed and offered in the next election. The current state flag was adopted during the dark days of Jim Crow back in 1894. One of the major differences this time compared to 2001 is that there has been intense national pressure to make it happen. Walmart stopped flying the state flag at its stores. The NCAA said last week that it would not hold any championship events in the state so long as that Confederate symbol was still on the flag. And the Southern Baptist Convention came out for changing the flag for the first time. So did country star Faith Hill, a native of the state. There was a day of passionate floor speeches from people on both sides of the issue. Mississippi is 40% black, African-Americans make up a larger share of the population than in any other state. Senator Derek Simmons, who is black and a Democrat, said he rose to speak on behalf of his two sons, who are just one and six years old. He said, quote, they should be educated in schools, be able to frequent businesses and express their black voices in public spaces that all fly a symbol of love, not hate, a symbol of unity, not division, a symbol that represents all Mississippians, not some. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar as we start the week. Number one, according to intelligence gleaned from U.S. military interrogations of captured militants in recent months, Russian bounties offered to Taliban-linked militants to kill coalition forces in Afghanistan are believed to have resulted in the deaths of several U.S. service members. 
Several people familiar with the matter tell my colleagues Ellen Nakashima, Karen DeYoung, Missy Ryan, and John Hudson that it is unclear exactly how many Americans or coalition troops from other countries may have been killed or targeted under the Russian program. U.S. forces in Afghanistan suffered a total of 10 deaths from hostile gunfire or improvised bombs in 2018 and 16 in 2019. Two have been killed so far this year. In each of those previous years, several service members were also killed by what are known as green on blue hostile incidents by members of the Afghan security services, which are sometimes believed to have been infiltrated by the Taliban. This intelligence was passed up from U.S. Special Operations Forces based in Afghanistan and led to a restricted high-level White House meeting back in March. That meeting led to broader discussions about possible responses to the Russian action, ranging from diplomatic expressions of disapproval and warnings to sanctions. The disturbing intelligence, which the CIA was tasked with reviewing and subsequently confirmed, apparently generated disagreement at the highest levels of the administration about the appropriate path forward. The administration's special envoy for Afghanistan, Zalmay Khalilazad, preferred confronting the Russians directly about the matter, while some National Security Council officials in charge of Russia were more dismissive of taking immediate action. Asked to comment on Sunday, John Uliad, an NSC spokesman, said, quote, the veracity of the underlying allegations continue to be evaluated. Among the coalition of NATO forces in Afghanistan, the British were briefed late last week on the intelligence assessment, although other alliance governments were not formally informed. But as more details have come out, the primary controversy in Washington over the weekend revolved around denials by President Trump and his aides that the president was ever briefed on the intelligence at all. The question now, will the president be less cozy with Vladimir Putin after this has been exposed publicly? Will he keep pushing to get Russia back into the G7? Number two, the novel coronavirus has now killed more than 123,000 of our fellow Americans. In Texas, coronavirus-related hospitalizations reached a record high for the 16th day in a row, with about 5,500 patients being treated. Vice President Pence, visiting Dallas on Sunday to speak at a megachurch, urged people to wear face masks after declining to do so during a news conference on Friday afternoon. But the rally Pence attended at First Baptist Church featured a large choir that did not wear masks while singing, despite evidence that some choir practices have served as super-spreader events. Texas, Florida, and Arizona continue to emerge as the latest epicenters of the contagion. Some testing centers in those states have become overwhelmed by an influx of patients, with residents reportedly waiting several hours in their cars or on foot to receive testing. Houston hospitals hit 100% of their ICU capacity over the weekend, and then they stopped reporting the data. Florida's case count has increased fivefold in two weeks. California Governor Gavin Newsom, a Democrat, ordered bars yesterday closed in seven cities, including Los Angeles, following a spike in cases out west. And it's important amid all the numbers, to remember the human dimension of this. On Sunday, the families of those lost in one of Maryland's deadliest nursing home outbreaks held a memorial service. They sat in front of 46 crosses at Sacred Heart Catholic Church in La Plata and took turns remembering the residents of Sage Point Senior Living less than two miles away. Rachel Chasen reports that sometimes, speaking through masks, they told stories of grief, of not being able to see their loved ones in their final moments and not being ready to say goodbye. But they also spoke of better times, including of the woman in the 
dementia wing whose eyes lit up when they sang hymns. The tomatoes that one longtime resident grew, and the 80-year-old who was reprimanded for driving his motorized wheelchair too fast. Number three. Some top Trump world people are pushing for a campaign shakeup to revive the president's struggling re-election bid. So far, though, the campaign has settled only on incremental changes, such as hiring and elevating a handful of operatives who worked on the 2016 victory before getting pushed aside. The president has been unable to articulate a clear rationale for why he wants four more years. He stumbled during an interview with Sean Hannity that aired last Thursday night on that question. Moreover, campaign officials and other advisors are still struggling with how best to focus their attacks on Joe Biden, which so far have been scattershot. There were several meetings to discuss this topic over the weekend, and Trump has been asking advisors whether he should stick with his current nickname for Biden, Sleepy Joe, or try to coin another moniker, such as Swampy Joe or Creepy Joe. Ashley Parker, Bob Costa, and Josh Dossie on the White House team report that the president is not convinced that Sleepy Joe is particularly damaging, and some of his advisors agree and have urged him to stop using the nickname. In a tweet Sunday, Trump tried out yet another variant, Corrupt Joe. Some advisors are also concerned that the campaign's attacks on Biden's mental acuity might alienate older voters and that they also inadvertently set a low bar for gauging Biden's performance. Trump's team has deployed the hashtag HidenBiden, intended to highlight that it's been nearly three months since the former vice president held a regular news conference, and they want to pressure him into doing more public appearances, hoping that it forces him to gaff. Trump has also responded to his falling numbers by emphasizing his nativist and base instincts, attempting to rally his core supporters through controversial comments and tweets. The latest example came on Sunday when Trump retweeted a video that included one of his supporters proclaiming white power in response to counter protesters at the villages, the retirement community in Florida. Trump called his backers in the video where the demonstration occurred great people. The president later deleted the tweet. And a White House spokesman claimed that he had not heard the white power shout. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, June 29th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.